Please stand for the reading of the word from Luke chapter 2. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. It's good to see you all here. We're grateful for those of you that are uh, with us online. Uh, my name is Shane Hughes. I'm one of the ministers here, and, and uh, I love these combined services. I love it when we get to see one another. I know there's frustration when somebody sits in your seat. Just apologize, move on. It's not that big a deal. Uh, actually, it is. Stay out of my seat. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but it's good, it's good for us to be together like this. Uh, praise God that we get to experience our full body. Um, we're in this series called Foretold, and it's, it's looking at some of those prophecies that are, that are uttered in, in, in Matthew and Luke, the way that Matthew begins to pour through the Old Testament and see the lines that connect to Jesus. And he wants us to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah. And Luke begins to do the same thing. He looks back into the stories of the prophets of old, and he sees Jesus everywhere. And so we've been going together this Advent season and looking back at some of those stories. And, and what does it mean in, in, in Micah? What, what did it mean in these other places in the Old Testament where, where we heard about what's coming? Because the prophets speak the word of God. A prophet is not a fortune teller. A prophet is not a soothsayer. A prophet speaks the word of God and the word of God creates reality. But today is a little different. I want us to think about the last prophecy that's spoken in Scripture over Jesus. The last prophet is, is Simeon. In fact, Simeon is still alive when Jesus is born. And so our word today doesn't come from the Old Testament. It comes from Luke. And in this setting, Mary and, and Joseph have just had their, their first baby, and I got to tell you the truth, parents aren't ready to be parents. Nobody's ready to be a parent. Even if you waited and you longed and you, you, you prayed and you yearned for that baby, even if you took your time and you did the planning model right and you got all your ducks in a row on the front end and you had the shower and you've got the crib set up and you've got all the towels in the right places and you've got diapers stacked up in one of your closets, it's going to last you five years. You are not ready when that baby is born. That baby gets placed in your arms. And something happens to you that I cannot explain. Something opens up. It's like a, there's a door in your soul that unlocks that you never knew was there. And you're not ready. Natalie and I had our, our first baby. It was, was, uh, it was a C-section. It was, a, it was kind of a surprise. We, were, we were, thought it would be another couple of weeks, and, and grandparents weren't there yet. And after we took Elliot home from the hospital, there was this moment where it was she and I, and it had been she and I for many years. We had our rhythm down. We had our life in order. We knew the process of how everything went, and we're both just kind of sitting there watching this baby with no idea what to do. 
What's next? <laughs> like everything, all of the work that we had done had just been unraveled in one moment. And then people came to help, and they said, you got to, you know, when you do the diaper, you got to get the, the frill out. I still do that. Debbie Oswald, I still do that. I make sure the frill is out every time I change a diaper. And, 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 and Corey Koss told us, when a baby sleeps in that, you know, field goal pose, that's a good sign. The baby's comfortable. Don't try to pull those arms down. That's what the baby wants. It wants to sleep like this. I haven't forgot that, Corey. And so Mary and Joseph, they, they went from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the census. And then a few weeks after the baby's born, they go from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, which isn't very far for the blessing. And they go from Jerusalem up to the Temple Mount, and they go across this kind of wide parade ground, this courtyard toward the temple. And as they're heading toward the temple to get the blessing, they encounter two prophets, Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna are old, should be grandparents or great-grandparents themselves by now. And I imagine that Simeon and Anna were something like fixtures in that wide courtyard before the temple. The text says that Anna is there night and day, praying and fasting. Simeon is one of those people that's led by the Spirit just to show up at the right place at the right time. It's those fixtures that you kind of, when it's your town, you kind of know who they are, and they're no big deal. You don't really notice them anymore, or the, the ex, 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 whatever, the odd of them that, uh, that follows them. It's kind of like the, the street buskers in, in Nolans. You kinda, once you're there, you know who they are and you know what they do. You know their show. In San Francisco, where I was uh, in California before this, there was this guy who liked to scare tourists and he would hide behind this plastic bush. Then he was very, very still and he would jump out and just say, boo, around the fish markets. And tourists unsuspecting would just walk along and this guy scares them and they jump. <laughs> And then he, they give him money. It was cool. Um, <laughs> and so they, they're just these kind of things that if you lived around the temple, you just kind of know, oh, that's old Simeon. That's dear Anna. They're just doing their thing. Praising God and blessing people. And Mary and Joseph, they go through the ritual of the blessing. They offer two doves instead of a lamb, indicating that they were pretty poor. And there's something here in this text about what it means to be entrusted with someone else. I don't understand the door that unlocked in my mind the first time that I held my first son. But I did understand in a very deep and powerful way what I had been entrusted with. A fragile baby who desperately needed two people to care for him, someone to care for them to survive, more than just keep them alive, but to allow them to thrive and grow. And I imagine in some ways the, the blessing that Joseph and Mary went was similar to the baby blessing that we did a couple of weeks ago. And there's, there's so much wrapped up in, 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 in the hope of a parent for their kid. The most beautiful image of a couple weeks back was the Gossets holding their first baby. And, and after, after the blessing came and went, they just kind of turned and enveloped their baby and prayed over them. It was a, this beautiful moment. And there's so much in that moment that you hope for your child. Be, be like me, but not like me. 
Be great, but also have joy in your life. Do something big or maybe do something meaningful. Be the first one in our family to go to college or don't waste your life in a job that you're going to hate like me. But most of all, our prayer ends up something like, but please don't let my rough edges, our lack of access or our ignorance hurt them. I imagine Joseph holding those two pigeons saying, please, God, don't let the fact that I can't afford a lamb alter your son. Steer the course of his life. Sometimes our efforts to to swerve from the ditch that we grew up in puts us in the ditch on the other side of the road. We avoid strict parenting uh, to offer by offering too few boundaries, or we emphasize grades to the point that it becomes a neurosis, but we do the best we can because we've been, enca- we've been entrusted with something, something that's great. And they encounter Simeon. And just think of the, the power of this last prophet. Sp- Simeon is speaking the reality-shaping word of God to the word of God. And Simeon says these words, This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel Israel, and will be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. And Mary and Joseph are reminded, just like us, that we have so little control. Their son is destined for things that are beyond their comprehension, beyond their ability to navigate, beyond their control. But the reality of what Simeon says is Jesus won't be able to control it either. That Jesus' righteousness is going to be like a mirror. It's going to be a sign so that the inner thoughts of others will shine through. And Jesus isn't going to be able to help it. He can't not be the righteous one. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to rub on others. The, the second year I was in ministry, I had an intern. I was doing campus work in Arkansas. And, and this intern, it was the most amazing intern you can possibly imagine. His name was, it was Maddie. And, and there was this moment where we all got Christmas bonuses. And, and Maddie, the intern, got a Christmas bonus too, which I thought was awesome. And it was one of those years where things were tight and, and we were doing the best we can and, and Christmas was going to be lean. And so I thought this bonus is really going to be awesome. I'm going to finally get something that I want. And I, I spent it. I bought a Christmas gift for myself. And I thought this is great for Maddie too. I'm so, I'm so glad that they remembered him and they, they offered him something too. And I, and I went to Maddie and, and I said, Maddie, what are you going to spend that bonus on, man? You going to buy something cool? And I was ready to tell him what I bought. It was cool. And he said, yeah, I bought a goat for some children in Africa. Maddie, <laughs> come on, man. My intern. His righteousness revealed something about my own heart. And it made me want to give the gift back. And buy a goat. There's something about that purity of heart. Because there's a, there's a distance between what we say we want and what we really want. 
and the holiness of God. The holiness encapsulated in Jesus Christ is going to cause that among everyone else. The leaders of Israel are going to say what they want, but then what's there, there's what they really want. The Pharisees are going to say what they want, but then there's what they really want. And a lot of us claim that we want to be for God, but deep down, we kind of just want to buy something for ourselves. And maybe there's something in this text that says you can't really look honestly and seriously at Jesus and not be confronted with that truth. Because Jesus is going to change the world. Jesus is going to change every aspect of everything on this planet. Jesus is going to affect the way that we love one another and love our children and love our brothers and sisters. And there will those who see it, who will see Jesus, see that mirror and say, yes. And they're going to be gathered together and they're going to try their best. There's something here in this story about faithfulness in times of uncertainty, isn't there? The text tells us that Mary and Joseph were amazed by Simeon's prophecy, but that same word is also translated in other places as bewildered. It's not so much that they're in awe as they're just kind of confused. But we don't have much control when God calls us to be faithful. You think about Noah getting into the boat or Abraham going to the place that Yahweh will show him. Esther and the entrance to the king's chamber and Jonah on the road to Nineveh. The reality is that when God calls us, we kind of give up. We, we, we sacrifice our ability to control the narrative from that point on because what we believe in our hearts is what God has for us is better than anything else. But that doesn't mean it's not a little bit bewildering. I think it's interesting that these two prophets meet Jesus in the temple courts. And at first glance, you would think prophets in the temple courts would kind of be at odds with one another because often prophets, at least historically in the Old Testament, seem to be calling out the temple, calling out the structure of leadership, calling them back to God because they've strayed off of their way. So what are they doing in this place? But that isn't the whole story. About a generation later, 30 years later, Jesus will come back and fashion a whip to clear that place out. And Jesus will claim that if the temple is destroyed, he will rebuild it in three days. And he's not talking about that temple. Anna and Simeon are part of the system that Jesus is about to make irrelevant. And whether they see it or not, they welcome it. There's something here about what it means to be a part of the falling and rising of many things. And most of us would say it the other way around. We would think of it in terms of history, of turn of the rising and falling, not falling and rising, the way that that Rome rose and fell, the way that the Miami Dolphins rose and fell and then never got back up, the way that MySpace rose and fell. But the wisdom of God knows better. For a seed to flourish, it must die. For a life to be saved, one must lose it. For Resurrection Sunday, Good Friday must come first. Mary and Joseph are so exhausted. And they meet these two temple elders. And we must pause and reflect on the reality of time. Because right now, we're, we're at the final stretch of Christmas. 
You know, you got, you, got, you got that last chance to get the packages out, to get the shopping done. You got one last chance to clean the house before the family comes in, or, or one chance to pack the bags to get ready to travel. One last chance to finish the projects at the office before things sh- shut down. And it's busy, and it's hectic, and you feel tired. And for kids, it's just the opposite, because the next few days are going to feel like an eternity, because those presents have been sitting under the tree for so long. Time is a funny thing. Simeon was told that he would live to see the Messiah. His whole life was waiting, fixated on that moment when he would get to see the Messiah. And so when he says, Master, you are dismissing your your servant in peace, There's a double meaning there. The first is that he is aware of his own encroaching death, but also that his watch has ended. Like Habakkuk sitting on the wall, he has seen the Messiah. And so for his whole life, Simeon has carried this hope. Messiah would come. Not just Israel, but the whole world would be redeemed. Simeon's glimpse is not the coronation, but the baby blessing. And there's something here in this text about generational generosity. Anna and Simeon have been carrying something. Later, I think, I think Paul, talking to Timothy, would call it the, the deposit. They were carrying something their entire lives. And as you know, the sunset of their lives, the horizon seemed to come closer, they're going to hand it off. And they're going to hand it off to Mary and Joseph, two young kids with a baby, and they're not confident about what's going to happen next. There's a changing of the guard that happens in this story. Faith must be passed on to mean anything. Like the cathedral builders in Europe, we start and dedicate our lives to work we will never see completed. And there is a beauty to the fact that Christianity has existed for 2,000 years by people telling stories and hearing stories and blessing babies and confessing in baptism and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit and learning to love others more than themselves. This story that's been repeated person after person, generation after generation, that when I lay down my life, somehow it gets picked back up and given back. And there's more meaning to it than ever before. And I think that speaks to us as a church. That there are those of us that have been carrying the deposit. That have been keeping things going. And for your whole life, you have been faithful. And if no one's ever said it before, thank you. Thank you for holding it. Thank you for keeping it for us. But part of the life cycle of faith is us learning to entrust it. Like the kids who read at the beginning of service, like Alicia speaking to us at communion, like uh, Frank and Hanson and other young adults that lead our service, like Aaron who led our worship today. All of those different people that have been entrusted with faith and who are giving the chance to use their gifts in a meaningful way. And here at Highland, one of our goals is that everybody gets to use the gifts that God has given them to the measure that they've been given. And we're going to figure out how to let you use yours too. And there is a sense in which, in this story, faith, it's got to be passed down. And if you don't pass it, if you hold on to it too long, 
you don't get to keep it. You find out that what you're holding is, is dead. Simeon says, this child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And you just kind of wish he had left it there. You just kind of wish he had stopped talking at that moment. But he adds one last phrase. He says, the sword will pierce your own soul too. And we interpret there that he's, he's talking to Mary. How did Mary hear those mysterious words? As James Howell says, time will telescope for Mary and Joseph. The next 30 years are compressed into just one verse. The child grew and became strong. And for some of us, it's just like that too. In a blink of an eye, a, tartle, a toddler taking first steps is next walking down the aisle. Because Jesus is going to grow up and leave home and gather a following. Wicked men are going to turn against her son who was pure and good and full of love. And Mary will watch as every word of Simeon's prophecy is fulfilled. She will watch as her son is lifted up and watch as her son's blood drips down from the feet she tickled and washed and bandaged when cut. Mary will watch as the life leaves his body. Mary is going to witness the falling. But she will also witness when that life will rise. And maybe, just maybe, there's something here about resurrection. Not just at the end of time, at the end of days, when we get to experience the glory of God's fullness, but the beauty of this prophecy that when things get laid down, when you offer your life and your time and your talent and your treasure for the sake of the kingdom, somehow in the mystery and the power of God, it comes back to you with more fullness and power and meaning than you ever knew. May we as the church have the courage to live into Simeon's blessing for us all. I want to invite our prayer team to come forward. We're in a season now where uh, we want to offer a time of prayer at the end of the service for anyone that's looking for it. Uh, if you have a need, uh, we want to invite you at the end of the benediction to come forward and uh, come and meet and talk with part of this team. There, it's a mixture of, of, of shepherds of our church and, and some other trusted members. And they, they're happy to talk with you and they're happy uh, to pray with you. They're happy to walk beside you through a season. If you need to get a cup of coffee with one of them, they're willing to do that for you. Uh, these are folks you can trust. Will you please stand for our benediction? Brothers and sisters, for 2,000 years, the story has been told. From one mouth to one ear. From one mouth to one ear. About the story of Jesus. His birth. His life. His death. But the prophecy doesn't end there. The story ends with Jesus coming back to save us all. So this week, may your hearts and your lives be filled with joy and peace and love and the other one, hope. And may you be filled with God's glory. Go in peace.